So let's take a 30,000-foot look at what we're dealing with. And I want to be clear about a couple things, if I may. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. First, I love you, Boo Bear. You know, you know I'm talking to you. No, 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 don't look around. I'm talking right at you. It's you and me, boo. That's it. Secondly, I'm fully aware there are many other things going on uh, around the globe. I'm, I'm prepared uh, to head out to CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. I'll be heading out uh, tomorrow. We'll be broadcasting live Thursday and Friday, courtesy of Relay Indiana. Absolutely love them and appreciate them helping us uh, get that done. There are many other issues, whether it be DEI issues or the border issues or, or inflation issues. You've got the Fed saying they're going to raise interest rates a half a point in March. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you that's soft. But we have an invasion. You can't deny what's going on. Let us take a step back and understand all the ramifications. Talking right now with Noah Rothman. He joins us from Commentary Magazine. Noah C. Rothman on the Twitter box is where you you find him. We continue these conversations about what is going on. And uh, the White House seems hours late putting out a statement saying uh, that it was Russia's invasion in Ukraine. Uh, Is this the minor incursion that Joe Biden told us was acceptable? Yeah, so he kind of backtracked. That was probably an admission against interest, but nevertheless one that was reflective of his thinking. And he subsequently walked it back. But in the hours that passed after uh, Russia, Russia did invade Ukraine, invaded Ukraine's internationally recognized sovereign borders and the territories that are occupied by Russian proxies. Um, Senior American officials unnamed started saying, well, the window for diplomacy is still open until the tanks roll, as the tanks are literally rolling, uh, and saying, you know, uh, this is – Russia had forces there before, right, unrecognized, but nevertheless – just an overt uh, you know, expansion of their footprint in this territory isn't really the escalation we were looking for. I think that that's being rolled back as we speak. Um, but it was a weird blink in the face of this threat. It legitimizes the Russian view that you can change the facts on the ground by force, and de facto they are legitimate. Uh, and it demonstrates an unwillingness to confront Russia on the terms that it has set for this confrontation, uh, which is an inauspicious way to begin after a really tumultuous and terrifying weekend. So let's understand what has taken place here. And first, let's go to an idea of history, Uh, because it was Vladimir Putin who put out a statement as he's speaking there from his office, which looks very 1970s to me, uh, and, and discussing the idea that this is what actually the Ukrainian people want. And as you know, there's a long history between Russia and Ukraine. As a matter of fact, Ukraine uh, was, was part of Russia for, for many, many years uh, before we, we ever split apart. It's only natural that we return together. What is the history of Ukraine and Russia? And is Vladimir Putin, as I see it, trying to rewrite that history? Yeah, well, first of all, we should say at the outset that it's wholly irrelevant, entirely irrelevant. The origins of the Kievan Rus in the 7th century and the Russian conquest of the Black Sea coasts from the Ottoman Empire in the 17th century, I mean, this is a bizarre peroration that we were treated to by a person who I'm not sure has a rational comprehension of the current state of affairs. I mean, it does, it's utterly irrelevant, the historical background here, when we're talking about the internationally recognized sovereign borders of an independent state that has been an independent state for 30 years. It's just not part of the conversation. And when it dovetails with the fact that over the course of this weekend, 
uh, Moscow didn't just move on Ukraine, but transformed Belarus into a satrap. They announced summarily that this country would be permanently hosting Russian troops, a country that has no independent foreign policy, no independent domestic policy, and is wholly, the regime is wholly dependent on Russia to maintain it after 2020 in a demonstration of profound unrest in, in uh, Minsk in response to an illegitimate election victory by Alexander Lukashenko. This country has been folded into the Russian mandate. It is gone. And, re- and Ukraine uh, is apparently next, according to what Vladimir Putin said in that very long, meandering speech about how the Soviet Union created this country, giving no mention to the fact that the country actually bid for independence in 1919 and was denied it, and that's why they created a Soviet state. It doesn't even matter. It's un- irrelevant. He said, essentially, that Ukraine has no sovereign right to exist. This is the most profound direct threat to the American-led European order since the end of World War II, forget the Cold War, since 1945. Talking to Noah Rothman of Commentary Magazine, Noah C. Rothman on Twitter. I bring it up, and I actually do believe it has some importance because it shows many people, maybe for the first time, who are not studiers like you are, Noah, the lengths to which Putin will go, the lies uh, that that Putin will, will tell in order to try and convince some people, including the useful idiots out there, uh, to join his cause, be sympathetic to his cause, to rally to his cause, or to engage some level of apologism uh, for his cause. In terms of what we're seeing right now, I don't disagree with you. There is no part of me disagreeing with you on that in terms of this invasion. Here we are. You have uh, them saying that these two areas areas that are in in Russia uh these these I'm sorry in Ukraine uh Luhansk and Donetsk are now independent regions the Donetsk People's Republic the Luhansk People's Republic and he had to put troops in to keep the peace this is of course a lie this is of course invasion and what we're seeing is Ukraine look to the rest of the world look to Europe and look to the United States and say we told you this was coming do we get any help at all here's the question do they get any help at all that is the question. Um, well, they've been provided with uh, some defensive lethal aid uh, up to this event. And uh, the question now is how the West responds with sanctions. And as we talked about at the very beginning of this segment, um, there's been some trepidation about responding in a forceful way, in a calculated way, and an immediate way. I mean, we've been talking about this now for 12 straight weeks. The fact that we didn't have a suite of sanctions ready to go on minute one is pretty discouraging and likely encourages Russia to act further. And I, well, let me let me jump in real quick. And I never like to interrupt you, and I apologize, Noah. But we, we saw the Biden administration via Jen Psaki say that they would be implementing some sanctions, but they admitted they weren't the big package of sanctions that Ukrainian yeah. President Zelensky has been begging to hear about. So if we have sanctions for the incursion, and now we've got sanctions for the invasion, but I thought the sanctions were to stop the invasion. This goes to show that the Biden administration does not have a stick that the Russians are afraid of. Well, if we were going to deter uh, an invasion via economic warfare, we would have moved before Russian tanks were on the move. Um, And it does make sense in a certain way to have a calibrated, staged series of escalatory sanctions. Um, But I haven't seen anything that suggests the White House and the West generally is interested in imposing the sort of thing that would actually 
have real uh, consequences for the Russian public and could destabilize the Russian regime, which are twofold. One, the expulsion of Russia from the SWIFT international payment system, rendering them a, a complete economic pariah and making economic life on individual Russians very, very difficult. And the second is the energy sector. Anything that makes, uh, you know, sanctions that make it harder for Russians to buy clothes or electronics or make food more expensive, that's not going to destabilize this regime. Um, the energy sector would and Russia would retaliate. And it would be extremely painful for the West, extremely painful. It would probably force American inflation rates above 10 percent. It would really uh, hurt Russians and make Russia, uh, Europeans and make them inc- be inclined to blink. So it would be a full-time diplomatic job just to keep Europe on board. But I don't see any other way to get Moscow to back down from essentially absorbing the whole of this country back into the Russian sphere by force. Uh, in a way that is very dangerous, because we're talking about going right up to NATO's borders, potentially, in a way that could destabilize those countries, make them very anxious, make everybody very trigger happy, and accidentally push a button that they regret to have pushed, resulting in a series of escalating retaliatory responses. That's how big wars start. And that's why we want to stop it right now. Yet, to stop it right now is going to involve, well, two steps, the economic and more shows of force, at least, uh, within Europe. And while Germany is now discussing uh, putting an end to Nord Stream 2, that, that came out earlier today, what's the show of force? I mean, describe it. What's the show of force that makes the Russians say, okay, this was enough? <laughs> Just kidding. Well, there will be no show of force, per se. I and mean, we're talking about retaliatory responses uh, via economic and and diplomatic sanctions. Nobody's talking about a military response here. That should be completely off the table. Anybody who brings that up is trying to argue a straw man. Leave that on leave that on the sidelines for now. Um, Insofar as it's if you can even envision it, uh, the the suite of sanctions, the regime of of sanctions that would target uh, the uh, Russian energy sector, that would target uh, the oligarchs, Putin's uh, very close associates, Putin's family himself, um, cancel student visas, uh, re- reduce the, the capacity of, of uh, Russia to retain uh, its intelligence, for example, uh, make it very easy for Russians to, to uh, remove themselves from the country, give you know, special visas to technical people with technical acumen, that sort of thing. A very broad suite of sanctions that would make life inside Russia very difficult and much easier for dissidents to get out. Um, that sort of, and, and actually make it very expensive to live in Russia. Uh, in the ex- to the extent you can see any of that working, it wouldn't work tonight. It would work over a long period of time. Eventually, you get Moscow to cry uncle because we can sustain that longer than they can. But it involves the absorption of pain. We would have to suffer as a result of our commitment to preserving the geopolitical order on the continent that has served us and the world very well. Until we're that willing, we're going to experience something pretty, pretty terrifying in Europe. Noah Rothman, Commentary Magazine, Noah C. Rothman on Twitter. I appreciate you. Congressman Jim Banks from the Indiana 3rd on the Armed Forces Committee scheduled up next. What is the look at the situation from Capitol Hill? Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today.